You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everyone, welcome to another Broken Meeple podcast. Hopefully the fan noise on the laptop is not overpowering the microphone at this point because it just will not cool down because it's pretty warm in this house at the moment. But yeah, sorry that it's taken a while to get another podcast episode out. Uh, Essen has kind of got in the way of a bit of that because obviously I needed to you know, get all that stuff done. But then I've also had to play a lot of games from Essen. I also had, uh, I was busy last weekend uh, trying to sort out uh, bits to do with the top 100 and various other personal bits and bobs. So yeah, it's it's been quite busy for me at the moment. But that is a, certainly we're going to get back onto schedule with these podcasts. And I'm glad that you at least enjoyed the live Essen um uh, talk that I did, which I essentially replaced the last podcast with. I think I put that up on as a podcast. I'm not entirely certain. I hope I did. Otherwise, apologies. But uh, it's on the YouTube channel, if nothing else. So in general, yeah, work's still stressing me out like crazy, but it's going to be like that, I think, for the next two to three months. Uh, that's just the way it is with my uh, with my job at the moment. But um, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I've just got to get to the end of the tunnel. It's uh, just a bit of a slog to there. So you know, you're effectively trying to walk to the end of the channel tunnel while stepping in treacle. It's it's going to take a while. It's going to be a bit of a sticky mess. It's uh, yeah, not good. But otherwise, things are pretty decent, actually. I mean, gaming-wise, I'm having fun trying out a bunch of the Essen titles that I've got, although that will be what this podcast is going to focus a bit on, uh, in one section anyway. And the channel itself is doing pretty nicely. Uh, Obviously, there's only been so much of the older style of content on there because I've had to get through a lot of the Essen reviews, but a lot of these Essen reviews are, you know, out there. I mean, I have got the... T- the various SM reviews of Gollum is up, uh, Batoku is up, uh, I did a Chaos Order Kickstarter preview, which I was late with, uh, I did a Dunehouse Secrets Express review, which expresses now the terminology I'm using for my Blitz reviews to basically, well, it's I didn't like the word Blitz, Blitz just seemed a bit weird, so I changed the intro, changed the name, and Express review is not to say shorter, although they are shorter than my detailed reviews, but not necessarily by tons. It's more to say that it's a cut price review. So if you imagine what a vlog is for some people where they literally just switch on the camera and talk, well, I don't just switch on the camera and talk. That's not my style. You know, my stuff takes a bit longer to edit, but an express video will not have anywhere near as many bells and whistles as a detail review does. So that's essentially what that means. But I've also got an express review for Ares Expedition in Ready, ready to upload. And I'm also going to be starting to work on the recording for Boon Lake detail review. And eventually, once I've played Messina a few more times, I will do a detail review of Messina. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on the horizon. But the main thing, the top 100 games of all time has finally come to an end. And I say finally, it's exhausting to do this. But it is fun. I do like to do the top 100. It's a chance to talk about games that I love, especially when I get to the end of the top 100 and I'm just like like giddy as a schoolgirl trying to you know, get these talked about. And the 10, 10 through 1 
has finally released. It came out yesterday evening. It's already like surpassing views of everything else I've put out lately or something. Just in literally, I mean, it's like over 6,000 views literally since what, like five o'clock yesterday evening or something. You know, it's really going well. 440 likes already on there. And some people dare to downvote the video. Eight people downvote a 10 through one. I mean, seriously, Get over yourselves if you don't like the games on the list, honestly. I mean, downvoting videos should be for, like, obscene content, you know, like, overly sexualized content, you know, potential, like, racism content, you know. We're talking stuff that needs to be flagged for reporting. Not just because you disagree that something wasn't your number one game of all time. Although I do like the fact that I put a Concordia thumbnail on, on a picture on the thumbnail, even though I absolutely hate Concordia and it would never be in my 10 through 1. So it's that, yeah, a little bit of trolling from me there. But yeah, all in all, pretty good stuff on the channel coming out from SM. But now that the top 100 is done, the plan is to go back to some of the content that you've obviously wanted me to do before. So beyond the base game, obviously, there'll be more stuff to do. Uh, I can obviously start doing the culls and acquisitions videos again once we're beyond Essen and I'm acquiring stuff outside of that. But also I can go on to more collaborations. I mean, I did do a collaboration with chairman of the board uh, a few, couple of weeks ago. That was good fun. You know, two very different tastes in board games, but we came together to talk about the what was it, top 10 games at age 12, so that was a good one, uh, but then I also did my live stream, and then the last one before that was uh, Franklin McKenzie, we did one, when did we do that one, and what was it even, oh, oh yeah, games that required app assistance, and that was late September, so there hasn't been as many live collaborations as there used to be, mainly because of the top 100, that's going to start changing. I'm going to start getting more of those in. I'm going to bring on some of the, the old favorites again. So it'd be great if I can get Paul Grogan back on there. I mean, look at that, 15,000 views for a live stream. That is unprecedented with stuff I've done. You know, if that's not enough reason that Paul Grogan is more popular than he thinks he is, I don't know what is. But uh, but then, like I say, I've had Mackenzie on twice. It'd be good to get Chairman on again. You know, Billy and Diana was good to get on. Uh, but I obviously want to go back and get like Ryan and Bethany on again. I want to get the Nerd Shelves on again. One Pit Wonder. Yeah, it'd be good to get Lighting Up Initiative back on here. Boardroom Gamer was a very popular one. Um, uh, what else have we got? Uh, I don't think Gems and Biscuits operates anymore, which is a shame. But, you know, it was great when he was on. Uh, the Cine Meeple's around, obviously the Nerd Shelves, if I didn't say already. Yep, definitely want them back on. Hexy Beast, uh, Board Game Perspective, I, I think I'm really overdue to get them back on. And of course, Board Gaming Ramblings would be nice to have on the channel as well. So there's loads of people that, that I've had on before that I'd like to have on again for the hashtag support small creators movement. Uh, but obviously, if there are other small creators that want to come on, by all means, give me a shout and we'll see what we can do and what we can squeeze in. It'd be nice to you know, get a few more faces known. I mean, I even tried to... Some people have tried to get on. Um, ah, I'm trying to remember. Ilker and Taylor, I think. Yeah, I tried to get... Um, I, I tried to get those two on, and they were so busy during the summer, and they've just not got back to me since. It's like, more than welcome to come on the channel, guys. You just gotta give me a bell, right? You know, so I'm, I'm ready when you are, basically. So that's the attitude I have. But yeah, uh, you know, more collaborations to come. And of course, more top tens in general. You know, I definitely want to keep the top tens going, and this is going to include live top tens, where I just talk about it live on stream. Uh, you know, nice quick ones to do, maybe like for things like top 10 of a publisher, for example. But then I I also want to do pre-recorded top 10s like in my top 100 fashion that you've been getting used to 
but just different top 10s now. You know, the top 100 is done. Then, you know, obviously I'll do a top 10 of 2021 come December time. But other than that, it'd be good to just get onto some other top 10 lists. So uh, Patreons, if you're listening, expect to get a message on the Patreon board at some point for those of you in the uh, the $5 tier and above to decide on some of the list ideas and suggest your own, because I'm definitely up for that. Uh, but also for the top 100, I need to do a live stream for the aftermath of the top 100. So that will be talking about games that fell off the list, games that are in kind of like the 101 to 150, and maybe just to talk about with the live chat as to what you think about some of the games I've got, you know, so was there anything I didn't cover in the top 100 about a game like the player count or the expansion capability or something for something that you want to know more information about, then that kind of live stream is the time to get on and talk to me. And I will get that in a diary at some point. So uh, just expect to see the usual shout out about that. Right, well, that's enough about my channel. And oh, yeah, and health wise, thank you to everybody who has been like, you know, keeping tabs with me about my health, uh, you know, been wishing me well in that. Honestly, I really appreciate it. My health is in a pretty good state at the moment. I had a follow-up with the gastroenterologist, whatever you pronounce it, but I had a follow-up and there was some damage in the uh, esophagus region, uh, but not a lot. It wasn't extensive at all. Uh, that's arisen from the last year from just too much acid buildup. But I've been on omeprazole for the last month and I haven't had a single acid reflux since, we followed up. They said, follow up in five years, monitor it. If anything flares up, we look at it sooner. Uh, you know, you're quite young to have it, but otherwise you're not at any high risk, uh, which is nice to know. And basically, I just need to monitor myself and just watch things. You know, I need to try and not eat too late in the day. I need to, you know, not drink too much alcohol, you know, never binge it. You know, I don't binge alcohol anymore anyway, but, you know, I just need to watch that. Uh, I need to uh, not have two bigger meals so I need to try and graze for the day rather than do one big meal um at any point that's easy enough for me to do and I just need to monitor it I'm on the meprazole still but I'm on half dosage so one a day at half dose and I'm still got no acid reflux so it seems pretty good to me I think I just needed to let the stomach settle and obviously once I start once I get to the end of that tunnel at work that will mean less stress which means hopefully it will clear up under its own free will anyway. Because I never, as much as it's stressful to do the blog as well, especially on top of a full-time job, I enjoy doing the blog. I mean, honestly, if I won the lottery, I would cancel my accountancy job immediately, buy a big house, get a studio built for me, and do blogging for the rest of my days. I mean, I would seriously do that if I won the lottery. So, you know, I, I like doing this stuff as much as it is an extra stress. Mm -mm. Take a swig of a lovely coffee. So let's move on to, let's see, what should we stack with us? Well, I, I was thinking of talking about solo games today because I've recently just done a commentary recording with Jason Perez for the top 200 uh, solo games list. Not going to spoil anything on that list, but suffice to say in the next week you'll be seeing episodes from uh, uh, Jason Perez coming out. So by all means, uh, check those out when they release. So that should be good, the one-stop co-op shop and that. Uh, that was good fun to do, so that was fun with me, Mark Dainty, uh, Liz Davidson, uh, Kevin, who makes the list in general, and Jason, all five of us talking about games, ragging on each other's choices, why I hate Mage Knight, uh, you know, <laughs> why they didn't like Sleeping Gods, you know, that kind of thing, so quite a few things there, but yeah, you know, really good times to be had, I have to say, with different tastes, but that's, I'm going to save my talk on solo games for a bit, 
So I'm going to combine the what I played with the main topic of the day, which is eventually talking about like titles I've played since Essen and whether 2021 is shaping up to be a good year overall for games. But before then, let's get on to a couple of small bits. So first of all, while we're on the subject of hashtag support small creators, why don't we actually look at a small creator and now this one might be considered a little bit of a cheat because he's technically a bit of a mate of mine at the moment <laughs> you know we get on well but this is not board gaming i don't think i've done a shout out for uh, not board gaming yet this is if i have it was ages ago but this is mark dainty um we get on well he's a uh, uk based uh, we should be seeing each other later this month actually in uh, gridcon actually paul grogan's convention but you know, he keeps things simple. You know, you got some fun, like flashy little thumbnails and that, but he's doing very basic stuff in his room, you know, in terms of like the video production and that. So, you know, he doesn't go for like fancy effects and stuff. But that's not why I like watching his things. The the cool thing with him, though, is that he focuses pretty much entirely on solo mode games. And we're talking all sorts. I mean, he's done like the Elder Scrolls Adventure game. We've got Euphia, uh, uh, which I don't even know anything about. Both of us reviewed Dune House Secrets and had similar views on that. Uh, Senjutsu, Voidfall Solo, Myth and Ghosts Solo. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here which I've barely even heard of in terms of a solo mode. But you name it, he's done it. Even on Mars, the Alien Invasion solo preview. So he does a lot of... He's basically all about solo, which is great because, you know, I, can, I love playing solo games and I'll comment on solo modes, but it's not the focus of the channel. Whereas in this case, it is. But... There's plenty there, three and a half thousand subscribers, and the views on his videos kind of vary. You know, sometimes there's like next to nothing, which is a shame, but then other times there's quite a decent amount, like, you know, Frostpunk compared with Project L, for example. You know, it really does depend on the popularity of the game, particularly as he does get a lot of stuff to preview and Kickstarter. But there's a lot of big titles there, I gotta say. So, all I'm gonna say is, you know, give Mark a shout. You know, he's, he's very prominent on Facebook, so you can always get hold of him on the Facebook groups. But, you know, we get on well, we've played some games, we pretty much hang out quite a lot at conventions to to do all sorts, and there are some games he loves that I don't, and vice versa, you know, we've all got different tastes, but yeah, we we, we gel on a lot of thoughts as well, you know, both of us liked Voidfall, for example, both of us weren't fans of Dune House Secrets, you know, we got some similarities here and there, but then he likes Descent Legends of the Dark more than I did, so it's good to get some differing views on there, but yeah. By all means, check him out. Three and a half thousand subscribers. Let's see if we can bump that up a bit because he's a lovely bloke. Great lad. And, you know, he's just essentially like the content creator doing it in his back room or whatever. It's like, it's not flashy effects. It's not 4K cameras and all this stuff. It's just, there you go. I just want to talk about games. And he's not afraid to speak his mind, which is another good thing. You know, not, not to say you've got to be a negative reviewer to have any credibility from me. But, you know, if I know that you're willing to speak ill of a game despite whether you got a copy of it for free and stuff like that that deserves some credit so yeah hashtag support small creators channel shout out not board gaming give it a bell give it a subscription and check out some of the videos all right let's move on to some news now some of this might be slightly old news because i haven't done a podcast in a while but uh you know i'm still going to report it because not everybody tunes into dice tower news or various other bits but First off, we have probably one of my favorite bits of news recently, which is that Garpil Games, who have done the North Sea Trilogy and the West Kingdom Trilogy, both very good trilogies of Euro games. I mean, I have talked highly about the Viscounts and Architects and Raiders of the North Sea, but 
the thing with the previous trilogies is that there's always been one that I've never been a fan of. I mean, there was a... I forget which one it was in the North Sea. I think it was Wainwrights in the North Sea or something. It wasn't particularly great. Uh, and I'm not the biggest fan of Paladins from the West Kingdom series. So there's always a two for free. Well, now they've basically announced that they've got a new trilogy coming out over the next three years. One every year from uh, 2022 onwards for the South Tigris. So Wayfarers of the South Tigris, we have Scholars of the South Tigris, and Inventors of the South Tigris. No idea what these expand um sorry, what these games are gonna have mechanic-wise, but to be honest, I'm excited for more games. I mean, the fact that they can push out one game every year and still keep a decent quality of games is pretty impressive. You know, sometimes it's always a bit of a concern when uh, companies chuck out games on a quick basis, but you know, they've got a pretty good track record so far, but I'm hoping for a trilogy that is free for free. You know, that's what I want to see. I don't want it to be like, oh, Wayfarers was great, and Inventors was great, and Scholars was a bit, nah, whatever. You know, it's, I want free for free. I want to be able to say this is like the best trilogy in games. That would be great. Obviously, it's going to be a while before we get to making that kind of decision, but as I say, we've only got to wait a year tops for Wayfarers, and obviously by that time, I'll also have the a new expansion for Architects of the West Kingdom, which I cannot wait for. I cannot wait for that. And have they done the Viscounts expansion yet? I can't remember if it was... No, I don't think they kickstarted one, but I think they're announcing it or working on it. So, yeah, definitely up for some Viscounts expansions as well. You know, like I say, bring me more content for these quality games. But, yeah, you know, they announced it on one of the, on their announcement video here, so you can go watch that if you want to like, actually see Shem Phillips and Sam McDonald in action. But, yeah... Like I say, it's more games from a team that has got decent pedigree with me right now. So, you know, definitely excited to see more. I wonder, so I mean, we've already had North Sea, we've had West Kingdom, South Tigris. So what do you reckon East is going to be? I mean, East is going to have to take on an Asian theme. You know, it's got to be. So what would it be, though? And are they going to focus on like Japan and China or, they, or is it, well, no, it wouldn't be mid well, actually, are they going to focus on Middle East as opposed to Asian? You know, I don't know. Be interesting to see, but uh, I think we'll have to wait till 2025 for that. So we won't get too uh, hard up on that uh, comment. But yeah, more games from a good company. Uh, slightly going 180 on this. Now, I don't want to alienate, uh, you know, people <laughs> who like games that I absolutely despise and things like that. You know, I like to report on as many games as possible. But this is in the news. Uh, I don't think many people have reported on it. And even though I can't stand Splatter games, you know, the games that they produce are just not for me. There are people who watch my show who do like some of the Splatter games. So you'll be interested to know about this. So the Dutch publisher Splatter Spellen, or Spielen, or whatever you pronounce it, basically they only release a game every three or four years, and they've now pitched a date for next year, about quarter three, 2022, for a game called Horseless Carriage. Three to five players, it takes three to four hours to play. Yikes. Three to four hours. Yeah, why do I get the feeling it's going to be longer than that? You ever played like some of the Food Chain Magnate games? But Dawn of the Automobile is the sort of tagline with it. And it's essentially the dawn of the automobile. So a time when cars were invented, no one quite knew what they were going to look like and what features they would have, you know, what pedals they had. I mean, you know, if you've ever looked at 
documentaries on this or like the top gear uh, little segment they had on the show where james may and jeremy clarkson were looking at like old horse-drawn carriages well sorry horseless carriages like this and they had like weird sort of joystick controls and stuff it was like it's really weird how technology advanced on that so theme wise i love this you know this is definitely a theme i could go for but this is splatter game I know it's going to probably be more mechanical than it is thematic. And also, I know it's going to be horrendously punishing. It's probably not going to be a looker, given the rest of their games. So, as much as I like this theme, I'm not exactly going to get excited about the game itself. But I do know people who watch this channel who like Splatter games. So, you know, if you are into Splatter games, if Food Chain Magnet is something that you love, fair play to you. Here's another game, Horseless Carriage, something for you to get excited about next year. And like I say, maybe I will play it, you know, if someone puts it on the table, but I'm just not exactly going to uh, expect a lot, you know, but that's just my tastes. On a similar note, uh, Tapestry, uh, that expansion has been announced, so there's very few, you know, details about this. You know, they've pretty much only said in the blurb that it's basically one new advancement track and a bunch of new stuff that you've already had before it's a new expansion for tapestry arts and architecture so 2022 release if already had one expansion which i can't even remember what it added because i don't like tapestry it's just an unbalanced mess in my opinion but you know that's just my opinion but the this one new you can have a new advancement track with new cards and tiles and more sieves more tapestry cards more tech cards more landmark cards miniatures you know it's just basically more of the good stuff but you know at the end of the day, there's a lot of fans for Tapestry. Um, I still don't know why, but <laughs> I'm sorry. But any game that needs to release an errata a week after it comes out to balance all the civilizations, that tells me that game balance was an afterthought. Not to mention the game is not the most thematic thing either. But as I say, there are Tapestry fans out there. You know, I wish you actually played more than three Tapestry cards in a game. And I wish they were actually balanced. But come on, Luke. Come on, focus, focus. But... Yeah, you know, there are lots of fans of Tapestry. Here you go, an arts track. So you got new icons, a new bit of advancement. And to be fair, I think arts is a good uh, like track to have. You know, compared to the other four, I think arts and culture was like not represented very well in the other Civ game. It was more about tech and military and that. So to have a culture and arts track, I think would be pretty good. You can guarantee it that if someone ever got me to play this game, I would hunt for this track as a first thing. But yeah, you know, Hopefully it's good. If you're a Tapestry fan, then, well, you've got more content to look forward to. And it doesn't look like this is going to be a very complicated expansion. It looks like it's mainly, here's the track with its own set of rules, which can't be that hard. And here's a bunch more of the good stuff, which is kind of what I want from an expansion, really. You know, so you could almost say that those who buy Tapestry should immediately go and get arts and architecture on top of it because it just would give you more variety. So, like I say, very little information on this. I mean, like a few BGG threads, and that's literally about it. So most of the information has just come from what little Stonemaier Games has released. But, yeah, go for it. If you're a Tapestry fan, there you are. Right. So let's get on to the focus of this uh, podcast. Where are we at the moment? We're up to 22 minutes. Yeah, I'm not going to make this too long, especially as my voice needs to be able to do more recordings later. Not to mention play video games online for a long time. But... I just want to talk about the Essen titles that I've been playing and how 2021 is shaping up in general. The 
the problem I had last year is that I was saying that 2020 was not a particularly good year for games for me. You know, when I got to do my top 10, I barely managed to do 10. And even then, a couple of the games on there were like quickly off it once I did the retrospective list. Now, granted, when I did the retrospective list, more decent titles showed up some of which were in my top 10, you know, so there were certainly some improvements. But still, 2020 was still a bit of a lacklustre year. Now, my concern is that 2021, even though it's slightly better, I think, overall than 2020, it's not shaping up to be the best of years still. And a lot of that is just because there's very few games that are blowing me away this year. I've reviewed a bunch of games for 2021 and I've played a bunch of games in 2021, but nothing's really stood out as like, this is the highlight of the year. This is like the 10 out of 10 game that's going to be on my top 100 and blow me away. Some of some of these games could end up in my top 100, you know, the ones that I've rated 8s and 9s, but even then, I don't even think I've rated anything a 9 this year. Let me go back to my dashboard a second. Let me just have a look at the content I have done this year while I've taken some water. Right, so, let's have a look. Content. Come on. Show me, show me, show me. Show me the money. Right, so, we have got Dunehouse Secrets, Batoku, Golem, uh, the Geisha's Road, uh, what have we got? Settlement, Descent Legends of the Dark, uh, uh, lots of stuff in there. Cocobelli, Dominant Species Marine, Dreadful Circus, and that was an Arkham Horror expansion, that doesn't count. Uh, that was a Kickstarter, doesn't count. Kickstarter, Kickstarter, Kickstarter. Uh, Undaunted, that's not a 2021 game, nor is The King is Dead. Uh, Imperium, Imperium was a pretty good one. Uh, Tinner's Trail, uh, Tinner's Trail, that was one. What else have I got? I'm just trying to look at all the ones that I think are 2021 releases this year that I've reviewed. Obviously, I've played more than I've reviewed, but, you know, only so many videos can be done. Uh, Die of the Dead, I've mentioned Imperium. Uh, that's a Kickstarter. Denea, that was meh, that was pretty meh, I'm not even sure that was 2021. Streets, uh, Court of Miracles is not 2021, nor is Hall of the Mountain King. Uh, Vienna Connection, that counts. Uh, what else was there? Any? Destinies, and that wasn't as great. Spirit Island, obviously, is not 2021. So there's only so many games that, you know, I'm going mad for. And even then, all of those games that I've mentioned there... I don't think any of them got over an 8 out of 10. I don't think I've given a distinction level uh, verdict to anything from 2021 yet. And this is what's concerning me. Is 2021 shaping up to be another lackluster year? And the main sort of benefit I can go from is what I've played from Essen because the way the seasons tend to work with board games is that games come out at the end of the year. Tenderly about September, October, November is when we get the flood of games that really make the cut. Yeah, you get some in the early year, but not many. And so there's not as many to pick from, but really it's all about Essen. And to a lesser extent, Gen Con, but mostly Essen. So usually by the time I get to November time, it's like, right, how's the year shaping up? Uh-oh, hmm. Well, let's just talk about some of the stuff I have played. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail about the games each because A, there's a lot of them, and B, some of these I've done reviews and will be doing reviews for. But let's take Gollum, for example. So Gollum, the same team that did Lorenzo, which is a game I despise, brought out a game that I actually surprisingly like. You know, an engine building game from Luciani and uh, Cranio Creations about 
building golems and putting them to work in a city where you are basically triggering different locations that give you bonuses and upgrades and various other like cool resource management ideas you know like lots of different spaces you can go to and it's all done with an action selection mechanic that's airlifted straight out of the lorenzo card game the marble mechanic which lets you pick actions depending on how many marbles are in there and even the color of the marble is relevant you know that's a simplistic way of putting it there's a lot of heads melting in this because the amount of stuff that you can combo on a turn like i'll do this i'll move him this allows me to move that which triggers this which lets me buy this at a discount which then triggers this effect or oh, it's so satisfying when you pull those turns off but man does it require you to plan ahead and certainly it makes a four player game quite lengthy but it's a solid game and i gave it an eight out of ten but this is what scares me this is probably my favorite game i have played from essen so far and it's done by a team that gave me one of my games I most despise. Really? This is what I'm considering? This was a game that I was almost ready to avoid at Essen because it had the same designers and publisher of like Barrage and, you know, and Lorenzo. It's like, no, I don't want to go anywhere near this game. This is just going to be another one. And then I played it and it's like, oh, this doesn't feel as punishing as the others. There's restrictions, but not enough. I still have plenty of options. Good game. Great game, in fact. I gave it an 8. You know, shy of a distinction, but good, really good game. And yet this is the one that I'm thinking is the best thing that's come out of Essen? What is going on? Because moving on from that, we then had Botoku, which, yes, I know, if you're living in France, whatever. Is, seriously, do people not do research on the translations and names in some of these games? I'm not going to say anything about it, but let's just say, if you're in France, you're probably giggling right now. But Botoku... Uh, was, you know, the hotness. This was like on our live stream I did with Paul Grogan about Priessen. This was the hotness. This was like, this is the game that everybody is going to want. You know, everybody's going to want a piece of Batoka. And granted, from the artwork, that's not, you know, a surprise. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Devier games, though, do not normally do heavy games. They are normally light games. At most a midway, if you count Red Cathedral, but Botoku was a massive, heavy, sprawling point salad game. I mean, just look at that picture. This picture is the busiest looking board I've ever seen. Everything looks gorgeous in terms of artwork, but man, it looks cluttered as old get out. Everything is just all over the shop with a ton of tokens and cards. And it is a full-on point salad game. Everything you do gets some points in respect, whether you're collecting cards or moving uh, little tokens along the path or collecting gems or collecting dragonflies or building buildings everything gets your points it's just a case of what do you fancy doing for points this game but i only gave it a five out of ten it's an average game there's a lot of stuff that hurt it particularly for the fact that it feels like a medium weight game in a heavy game shell it's got a lot of rules to teach and a lot of overhead to deal with yet the mechanics are not that complicated so you're going through a lot of effort to play a game which honestly is the same sort of weight as a lot of other midweight games and I just don't feel like playing something like this for three plus hours like with four players you know, to go through it. I'd rather play like Pulsar 2849 which is a medium weight, much more streamlined, much smoother point salad. This looks gorgeous but this was a bit of a disappointment for me and I think it's proving to be that way for a few people actually. But yeah, there are some fans of it, so it's not like a bad game by say. I said average, you know, average is still fine, I'll play it, but I just got no interest in the game anymore. And you know, it's 
it's come and gone really you know it looks lovely not gonna deny that the artwork is fantastic and it's certainly a setting that's much more interesting than others but when you look at it at the end of the day the theme doesn't really come through that much because it is mainly just collect tokens for points but you know it's beautiful it certainly was the hotness but yeah just not one for not one for me really so you know, but again, this was supposedly the hotness of Priessen, and it turned out to be nowhere near that for me. Okay, right, what else we got? Uh, I've also played Messina. Uh, now, this is only first impressions. I've only played this last night, so do not take that rating of an 8 uh, literally. That is literally first impressions rating. Um, you know, I tend to update a rating on my first impressions, and then I update it as I go through, you know, because I like to see how my impression has changed from several games to the next yeah i've only played it a couple of times so um you know give me a break first but, you know more solo games are going to come later today and i'm going to play this more on uh am i playing this tonight no i'm playing it tomorrow so you know i'm, I'm getting the games in for this one but messina we played it the other night and this is a uh another game from delicious games and vladimir suchi so vladimir suchi is certainly one of the hot designers at the moment and granted Pulsar 2849, Underwater Cities, two very good games. And Brago's decent, but I don't go mad for it. And was there anything else he made? I can't remember. But, well, as in recent. I'm not a big fan of Vladimir Suji's older stuff. I like his newer stuff a lot more. But this one is a game where the Phoebe is not exactly that strong, and nor is the aesthetics, to be perfectly honest. The artwork, I think, is a bit bleh. But the idea of this is that you are basically trying to rescue people from a, a city that is infected by the plague and you put them to work on your estate board and then once uh, the plague has kind of subsided in the city you kind of send them back to repopulate it. So there is some aspects of a theme here but it doesn't come out like ridiculously strong. And where's this score sheet? Oh, that's uploaded by a user. Well, I'm grabbing that because this game actually does need a... Actually, you know, why does this game need a score sheet? You've got a points track. That seems a little bit arbitrary, but never mind. Uh, I digress. So with this one, we played it a couple of times the other night. And to be fair, I enjoyed it. I actually thought this was a pretty solid game. I mean, this one is probably my second favorite to come out of Essen. Although bearing in mind, this is only first impressions. I need to play it more to really solidify my thoughts. But we enjoyed the first. I've enjoyed the first couple of games of this I've played. You know, one with you know two different groups of friends. And, you know, we've had fun with the little puzzle on your board of where do I put these uh, like inhabitants that I've grabbed, you know, where can I put them on my board to collect bonuses as little overseer tokens, walk around in some strange pattern and activate it. Yeah, like I said, who cares about theme when it comes to a, a, a Vladimir Suchi game? But you've then got quarantine cabins where if you pick up an inhabitant from a place that's infest, infest, infested, you... You can put them work. They go in your quarantine cabin, so they don't get them for a couple of rounds. But you could always put them to work and get them to produce stuff. But then you've got workshops that you can put upgraded workers into, and then you've got scroll uh, a scroll kind of like track, which basically allows you to like level up certain points. Let's see if I can bring up a picture. Here we go. So depending on the criteria, which on the B side of the boards is asymmetrical, you get to get points for a different paths to victory. I enjoyed this. I mean, but for the most part, it's a worker placement system. You put your work... It's a bit like a kind of Oklahoma... Oklahoma? Yokohama. Is it Oklahoma? <laughs> no. Um, it's a, we are the land of the... I can't remember the, long, the songs. But, yep, yeah, Yokohama worker placement mechanic is similar to... So, 
you've got a map, you put your workers down on the first turn, and then after that you have to move them to adjacent hexes or pay money to move them further. So there's a lot of tension for spaces. Each space can only be used once. You know, it's definitely pretty good on that system. But it's also pretty silky smooth in how your turn works. You know, the rules though aren't that complicated, even though the rule book is not the best. It does make a few things rather ambiguous. But there's a lot of paths to victory in this game and you certainly can't go for them all. It's a bit like Cooper Island in that respect. You know, that one has a fair amount of paths that you can do, although I would argue there's only really three. Uh, but then you really can only do one and you have to stick to it. This is kind of the same here. You should pick a path, stick to it from start to finish, and then only move on to something else when you finish that bit. You know, it's really not good to try and do everything because it will not go down well for you. Yeah, this was actually pretty solid. It didn't take as long as I expected, despite the fact that it was our first time learning and four players, you know, although I can trust these particular friends to not be uh, AP prone. And each of us had a very different strategy. I mean, some people went high on uh, workshops and cabins. I barely had any production at all. In one game, I maxed out the city track, so I was focused entirely on overseers. And, you know, there was some good variety in this so as much as i don't like the aesthetics that much and wish that the theme was maybe a little bit stronger you know i still found this to be pretty solid definitely my second favorite to golem you know so but then again not a distinction level game yet we'll find out maybe messina can push forward to a nine it's currently sitting at an eight it could fall to a seven we shall see how it plays more in solo and with uh, two or three players if i can help it but then moving on to the last... Well, no, I'll talk about a few others, actually. What else we got? Uh, oh, what was the other one? Boon Lake. Yes, Boon Lake, of course. Uh, which, if I could type it right, would actually appear on the screen. Now, Boon Lake, the new Alexander Fister game. Now, currently sitting at an 8, but um, the review's coming for that soon. And uh, that rating may change. I'm still thinking about it. But with this one, it's... This one's been quite good you know like i say it's been well quite good all right it's been good slash great i think this is probably going to end up somewhere in a seven or eight by the time i'm done reviewing it but i do have some reservations over it despite the fact that i enjoy it it's uh alexander fister's shtick it's basically a rehash of mechanics you've seen before i mean the action track where you pick an action tile and resolve it and everybody gets to do the action to a lesser extent is puerto rico the river where your boats move and trigger bonuses is maracaibo the board you have where you get to like take off houses and settlements as you build them and each one reveals a bonus you get is terra mystica the, and the, even the card system where you get to play all these different cards for bonuses and ao points is entirely Maracaibo. It's there is not a unique bone in this game at all, which is a bit of a problem. But the game itself is pretty smooth. I like the action tile system in it. I think the action tile system is great because there's uh, I, I argue some are a bit more powerful than others though. I don't think the balance is quite right entirely. Certain some ones get taken a lot more than others, and by the late game, some of them actually become worse. But you know, the, the whole idea of selecting the tiles is pretty sweet and moving your boat to collect what bonus you want and that also being the timer of the game. Although I would argue that even going at your fastest pace, this is not a short game by any means. You know, it does go on a little bit, particularly with four players. I think this plays a lot better with less players. Solo mode was pretty sweet though, actually. It's a pretty simple AI and you get to do what you want to do and the AI basically just chugs along and generates points for the most part and occasionally blocks up your spaces. So for an easy AI, you can still have a bit of good fun with this. 
And I did. I like these cards. I like the I, I like multi-use cards where it's like, oh, you know, I can churn through all these at a quick pace and decide whether I want to discard them for points, discard for money, or play them in order to get their special bonus or point scoring effect or immediate thing. You know, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with the cards, and it's easily my favorite aspect. Building on the map is fine. You pick spots, you get bonuses, you get uh, you know bonuses for cattle being next to houses and settlements being next to other buildings and that. So there's a, a communal map that people are exploring and building on. But I do wish that the spaces you went to were a bit more interesting than that particularly varied. They're kind of very generic spaces. Some of them don't even have bonuses on. So what's the point in even having that tile? You know, that just seems like a waste. But you know, it, it's decent enough on the board looks-wise, although I think the artwork on the cards is kind of abysmal. You know, that really does look like very basic artwork there, and some of it doesn't even make sense. There's one card that's a petting zoo, and it looks more like a nuclear fallout shelter. It's like, seriously, you can't even give me a nice picture of somebody petting a lamb or something? No, it's just, why? But... Yeah, the game is pretty solid, but I do have some reservations over certain things like uh, the length in four players, the pointlessness of the vase uh, resource, which is a stupid pointless little resource, which barely affects about 10% of the cards in the deck, is very rarely used, and just seems like an extra rule. I mean, this is what Fister does. You know, he likes to shove everything in the kitchen sink in his games for, to, to appease Euro gamers. And it's like, come on, we can streamline these games. Streamline. Some things can be taken out. You know, the scoring tiles on the bottom, I will debate till the end of time that I think these are a pointless inclusion. You've got projects at the top, which everybody can do, but one of them is double the points if it's yours. There is no reason you should not grab this in the game, because if you don't, you are losing a ton of points for one action, and you deserve to lose. You know, you, you have to do your project, and pretty much everybody does. Chances are you'll even do multiple of them. But they're pretty generic, you know, there's nothing particularly exciting about them. But the point scoring markers at the bottom, you have to put a one, two, three, four point marker on these four different criteria objectives, like have be somewhere on a track, have a bunch of houses out and stuff like that. And you get double points for your one. So you naturally save your 4.1 for that. But then you lose the points if you don't meet the criteria. Some of them have got the criteria of zero, which means it's impossible to fail them. So what's the point of it being there? But then also, it's very easy to achieve these. I have never played a game of this where I've not scored the full 14 points or whatever it is for that you get for them. And 14 points is not a lot in this game. You finish with more than 200 often. So what does 14 really matter over the course of the entire game done in four stages of which you've got to teach a bunch of rules and deal with extra overhead at the end of intermittent scoring? It's like... Hmm, it seems like a waste. Now, people might argue, well, hang on, it's 14 points if you get them all and 14 points if you lose them, so that's a 28-point swing. Yeah, if you are missing these objectives, like more than one, you're not playing this game very well. It's easy to achieve these, no matter how fast the boat goes. Nobody has had trouble getting, like, any less than... But everybody has had at least 12 points or so on this, or maybe 10. So we're talking four-point difference for something that I've had to teach all this overhead to. Honestly, these projects could not be in the game and you would not miss a thing. People say, well, it guides the game onto a certain path. Well, maybe I want to play the game in my own way and not have a scoring tile dictate the way I should play. Because you can't really ignore them because of the loss of points. But then that means I'm being pigeonholed into this route. 
Well, maybe I don't want to focus on building in the southern region this game, but apparently I have to in some respect. It, it's a bit of a negative for me, and certainly I'll reflect on that in the review. But like I say, it's probably going to settle somewhere on a 7 or an 8. And then to a lesser extent, what else have I been playing? Um, uh, I'd say I've had one game or... Yeah, I think I've had one game, two maybe, of Mobile Markets from... Uh, what do we call that one? Ah, da, 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 uh, da, da, the Smartphone Inc. card game from Arcane Wonders. That's it. Yes, yeah, Arcane Wonders. Um, I haven't even recorded my plays of it. Uh, that's how much I forgot to do that. But uh, I'll get around to updating that. But yeah, this is a card game version of Smartphone Inc. And I'm not the biggest fan of Smartphone Inc. I found it to be rather dry and boring and go on too long for what it was. But this card game version is essentially the same thing. You make phones and sell them to customers. But imagine that you're not selling to countries. You're selling to a specific customer who has different likes. The artwork is certainly a lot better with this. Uh, you still have to do your weird little iPad flippy thing, which is a weird mechanic, but... I don't know, it's not too bad. You track how many goods you produce, how much profit you're going to make, lump up your phone with features, and you try to appease the customers based on what it is they want. Now, it's not the most exciting game in the world, I gotta say. I mean, it's not... I don't think it's bad, but nothing's really gripping me to make me go, oh, yeah, this is so engaging and so enthralling. It's like, nah, it's basically smartphone ink just done with cards. It's buying and selling. It's economic game. And economic games are not the most exciting games ever. This is showing more pictures of Essen rather than the actual game itself, which doesn't help. Uh, but here we go. So one thing I will give a praise for is the rules are simple. They are very simple. Although when I say the rules are simple... How to do well isn't, at least not as much. I've tried playing this with new gamers and light gamers and it overwhelms them. So I don't recommend this as a light game. But the phases are all mentioned on these tiles and the turn order is tracked on here as well as the prices. This is a really cool system. It acts as a great memory jogger for how certain phases work. You may occasionally need to check the rulebook if you forget something, but a lot of it is explained on here. Gotta give it props. I'd like to see this represented more in games. I think this is a fantastic learning aid and it makes the game a lot easier to get to the table. That being said, it's rinse repeat for five rounds. You get a bunch of techs, you get a marketing card, you produce a bunch of goods, you sell them at net profit to a bunch of customers, they go away and then you just refresh with a new set of customers that haven't changed in any way since before. So you're just basically collecting the the occasional new tech and feature, and then just selling to a bunch of customers again. It does feel very rinse repeat. So I'm a little bit ho-hum on this one so far. But then I've got other ones to try. I've got Mo Mortem. Uh, Mortem, the sort of detective style uh, medieval game, which uh, medieval detective as it's called. I know nothing about this one. In fact, most people didn't know anything about this one, but I'm very keen to play this because I love the detective games. So the idea of playing a... A detective game set in the medieval area, kind of a bit like what Chronicles of Crime did. But obviously this one doesn't use uh, QR codes. This will use a deck of cards that you can build into maps and that. It sounds like a kind of a cross between detective and time stories. Choose your own way to advance, either using the kick in the door approach or being stealthy and discreet. Uh, choices will decide how events will unfold in the end. I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. All part of a single storyline, each case taking up to about three hours to play. I'm... I mean, it says one to six players. I am a little bit hesitant to believe that you would want to play this with more than four. And even then, I don't know if I'd want to play this with more than two. I have a feeling that I will probably just solo through this game like I do for Detective. 
but I am looking forward to getting this played. I want to get onto this pretty soon and give my thoughts. I've just had a lot of other stuff to play, and I've even got uh, Cascadia, Glass Road, and The Loop on my review pile, and also Seven Wonders Architects I've been playing recently. Uh, although, why don't we talk a little bit about that one? So, you know, i got to give this one more games, but it won't take me long to get an express review done for Seven Wonders Architects because it's uh, <laughs> simple. But this is essentially a lightweight version of um the of seven wonders obviously so it's a spin-off so it's not an expansion and the idea with this is you have a wonder to build at different stages gets you points and abilities but it's a, such a simple game i mean this is gateway seven wonders okay i don't believe seven wonders is a gateway game i think there's too much going on in it people will disagree i will defend this till the day i die but architects is definitely gateway Oh, get a couple of swigs of my coffee before it goes cold. Yum, 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 yum. Mm. Nice, nice coffee, actually. <laughs> got, got a new one, got a new batch sent in, new beans. And it's like, ooh, nice. But Seven Wonders Architects. So this one has you, okay, okay, you're building a wonder, but you have a tray of cards, which is distinct from the other trays of cards um, that other players have. Not a great deal, but there are some subtle variations depending on the wonder you're doing. And you place one in between, you place your deck to the left of you between you and the other player to your left. It's a bit like between two cities in that respect. You've got a special ability for which wonder you have as you build it, but mainly it's about that tray of cards. And the pictures aren't really helping me illustrate things. It's just showing off components, which i got to say, the components and card art is really good in this. I mean, it looks gorgeous for what you get in it. But the idea is, is that on your turn, you simply take a card from the left deck, the right deck, or top deck, the communal one in the middle. That's your turn. Nice and simple. It's just a case of the cards having different effects when you play them. But they're streamlined as well. Gray is a resource. Yellow is a wild resource. Blue is points and a token that allows you to look at the top card of communal deck. Green is science, much in the same way that it worked in Seven Wonders Duel. So get the symbols, get progress tokens. Red, build up your shields. When four horns have been revealed, um, these tokens have been flipped. Then a war happens. You check your neighbors. Highest shields gets points. No negative points lost. And that's it. And the rest of it is just building the wonder and choosing the cards that you want. So... It does a cool, it's a cool way of blending the Seven Wonders ease of play with Between Two Cities style of it. I mean, you're still caring about your neighbors because you can see what cards they could pick up and you might want to pick up the card before they do. But then are you revealing something for them? I mean, you know that your teammate, well, teammate, the person to your left is not going to pick up the shield card because they don't really care about that. So you might just leave it there and go, oh, well, well, I'm clogging up your deck. But then it's clogging up your deck as well. The turns are really quick. I mean, it's not simultaneous though. And this is a problem with it. It can go up to seven players, I believe. But I don't know if I would want to play this with more than four. Again, it has the same problem that Seven Wonders has, as much as I love the game. Where you essentially have the fact that you just don't care about anybody other than your two neighbors. Now, you can sort of care about the fourth player because they are directly influencing the choices that your neighbors will make. So four players is fine. But five, six, and seven is completely pointless. You don't care what they're doing. They have no effect on you apart from the flipping of the war tokens. And that's literally it. There's nothing else. Uh, I mean, it says re-implement seven wonders. It's not a re-implementation. It's essentially 
a spin-off. It's not an expansion. This will not replace Seven Wonders for anybody, I don't think. You know, I've got Seven Wonders down there with expansions. It is a fantastic game. Love it. It was my number 11 on my top 100, I think. You know, love that game. I still like this one, though. This is pretty good. You know, I don't know if it's... As, it's certainly not as good as Seven Wonders. I think Seven Wonders uh, appeals to me more. But I think this is a great gateway version. If you want to get people into Seven Wonders, you can start off with Architects. The game is done and dusted in 30 minutes or less if you've only got two or three of you. Uh, well, unless you've got slow players. I have seen that. But yeah, it's a pretty quick and light game. You know, very neat. Definitely one of the highlights of the year, I think. You know, if you're into light games. But the thing I want to get onto now is after talking about these kind of things, the... I mean, as much as Essen is kind of helping with this, what the original point of this section was, was do I think 2021 is shaping up to be a good year? And I'm still not convinced. I mean, I have played a bunch of half-decent games, so I suppose it's more consistent than 2020, which gave me very few games I liked, but it gave me some belters that I love. This one isn't giving me any belters, but it is giving me more games in general that I can say... These are decent, you know, these are good, these are great games. But I would like to be able to give something a distinction rating at some point. And this is not me being picky. This is me reviewing it as honestly as I can. The problem is when you have thousands of games released every year, you've got to get into a point where you're seeing the same stuff over and over and over again. You need more innovation. You need more variety. You need more like twists you know more like unique selling points about your game you know if i have to describe a game by li like boon lake i pretty much described it by rehashing mechanics out of other games so the game is good it certainly got its own two legs to stand on but it's the same thing we've seen before now granted it certainly kills marakaibo <laughs> that goes without saying there is no reason to play marakaibo i don't think when you've got boon lake but then if you really love Marakaibo, you probably have no reason to own Boon Lake. So, you know, I can't see why you would want to own both. I'm certainly not owning both. I'm going to decide which one of the two I'm keeping, and it certainly ain't going to be both of them. But, I don't know, just 2021, I'm just a bit concerned. I'm going to talk about a bunch of games that I think are good and great, just not excellent or legendary games. You know, I think we're struggling to get you know, a lot of new innovations in. Now, 2022 is shaping up pretty nicely. Some of the Kickstarters that are going to come out in 2022 are really going to be fun ones. I mean, we'll get Frostpunk, hopefully. We'll get Paleo Americans. Hopefully, Stellaris will be out that year. Uh, there's a bunch of really good stuff I'm looking forward to in that particular year. So, uh, definitely on the lookout. But yeah, I mean, I went to Essen with lowered expectations of what the games were going to be like and you know some of them have like surpassed my expectations i mean i didn't expect to like messina or Gollum as much as i did you know so i was expecting those to be pretty lackluster and certainly i expected botoku to be better but then that turned out to be pretty lackluster and same with doom house secrets so you know scales are certainly going a bit screwy here and it's not to do with changing tastes i think it's just the fact that the games did something different and it's like all right cool let's go with it but, yeah, you know, even the stuff I've got to review there, the Loop, Glass Road, and Cascadia. Is Cascadia... Cascadia is a 2021 game, isn't it? Let me just check. Cascadia, Cascadia, Cascadia for everybody. Oh, yeah, it is a 2021 game. Okay, all right, well, hopefully that'll be a sweet one. But I think the Loop, despite not entering distribution a lot, was a 2000 and... 
20 game. Yeah, so that doesn't count. And I know for a fact that Glass Road was not a recent game. So, yeah. How many more 2021 games are there going to be this year? We shall have to see, really. But I don't know. I digress. So, is 2021 shaping up to be as bad as 2020? No, I think it's going to be an improvement overall in terms of consistency. But at this rate, there isn't really going to be any game that I'm going to say, this is amazing, you need to go out and get this, fantastic, brilliant, that kind of thing. Although I'm kind of hoping that Mortem could give me that, but then Mortem is effectively medieval detective. You know, unless it unless it's got a surprise that I don't know about. I mean, Robert Geisen, though, a lovely bloke. Um, it was good to finally meet him, actually. But it was... He was very secretive about what the stuff was in it because obviously he didn't want to do spoilers. So I'm very interested to see if it's going to bring out some unique selling point. I'm going to be like, ooh, hello, did not know this was a thing, you know. And if it does, fantastic. But yeah, I need more belters. I need a couple of distinction level games that I can go when I do my top 10. I can go, here's my number one and two. Fantastic, you know, that kind of thing. Or maybe I'm just going to have to wait until the top 10 board games of 2021 retrospective list next year, which I'll do in the summertime and see whether it's you know improved over then we'll have to see but as such is the way because there'll be a bunch of games released in november and december that i just won't get time to play and review before the top 10 that's why i do the retrospective lists so yeah we'll see how things go anyway my voice is standing to go we're under 55 minutes so i'm going to wrap up the podcast there so hopefully that's given you some uh, brief insights into some of the essen titles that i've been playing you know, maybe some of these take your fancy. Don't worry, Boone Lake and uh, Messina will get full detail reviews. So that will happen. And uh, Mobile Markets will get an express review, as will Seven Wonders Architects. And I've also got a bunch of other like Arcane Wonder stuff as well that I've got to look at, like Air, Land and Sea, uh, Sherlock 13 and Mortem, obviously. I'll probably do like a compilation video to cover some of these like express styles, particularly the Arcane Wonder stuff, which I could do in one big Arcane Wonder special. But yeah, I got a bunch of stuff that needs reviewing like small games. So they will get the express treatment. And then some of these, obviously, I mean, I'm not in a hurry to do Glass Road because Glass Road is... I mean, if, you, if you're interested in Glass Road, chances are you'll love it anyway. But I'm very keen to get Cascadia to the table because it's a 2021 game. And I also want to try the loop because the loop looks pretty sweet. And I would like a nice, simple co-op game to play again. So, yeah, we'll see how things improve. But, yeah, there's a lot of cool content coming. And, obviously, I'm going to, like, talk to the Patreons about getting some top 10 ideas done. Both for live stream, pre-recorded, and collaboration. So, yeah. Welcome back, old content. That's what I'm basically saying here. So top 100 is done. Done for another year. Don't have to touch this again until at least August next year. And, you know, we'll see whether I can do it quicker next year. But it's very difficult to do it in general. But yeah, you know, it was good fun to do it. Thank you for everybody who has tuned into that top 100. Honestly, it means the world to me. You've been appreciating it. And I can't wait to see just how many views the top 10 gets as time goes on because that one is always the most popular particularly when they're pre-recorded and not live streamed so that's it for me i'm going to sign off from this podcast episode take care everybody um i'll see you soon if you want to check out other content on the channel then as i say the top 100 is done but you can also check out the uh, reviews i have done for Gollum and batoku if you want to learn more about those two particular Essen titles, I will get on to the others as soon as I can. Uh, Dune House Secrets has an express review. And if you want to check out upcoming Kickstarter, which is, well, upcoming, it's already on. And it's 
I think three quarters of the way finished at the moment, but Chaos Order, a very different game from Garpil Games, you might want to check that one out as well. So that's it for me. As always, remember, it's only a game. Bye for now, everybody.